This is it. I have discovered the way you are going to get what you want in life. And after this episode, you are going to stop settling and you are going to start living out your wildest dreams. I am Sandy Waters. This is Seven Figures. The goal of this podcast, why I started it, was to make finances feel less intimidating. You can do it. You don't have to give up total control and depend on someone else to tell you what to do. So each week we tap into the knowledge of very successful people, financially savvy people, and learn from them. What do they know that we should know? Today's episode specifically is actually a really good one to have your kids listen to. You guys can listen together. But before we cash in with our expert, I want to say thank you to our sponsor, Family First Credit Union, a helpful, educated team in our community that enjoys helping you live a financially healthy life. We cash in now with James Whitaker, the author of Think and Grow Rich, The Legacy, the modern companion book to the best-selling self-help book of all time, Napoleon Hill's 1937 classic, Think and Grow Rich. James, also the co-executive producer of the film, in addition to having 15 years experience with both corporate and startup companies in Australia and the U.S., you are a rock star in my house, James. Oh, amazing. I, I got to tell you. <laughs> Uh, I was reading your book and I'm like, wow, this is this is really good. And, you know, as a parent, you always try to, I don't know, inundate your kids with all these life lessons. Right. And hope that one or two will stick. So as I'm reading your book, I'm like, oh, this is really good. I'm going to see if uh, they'll be open to me reading this to them. So I proposed the idea one night. OK, kids, I'm, we're going to read this book tonight. They love it. They, oh, that's fantastic. You know, it's so funny. You never think to read a book like this to children. They're 13 and 8. But <laughs> I think more parents should because it's starting um, it's starting them young to think this way. Absolutely. And I guess that a lot of people, especially as they get more into the teenage years, they probably don't want to hear from their parents preaching to them about how to live their life. That's reading right. reading a story to them. It's a bit of a guerrilla way of getting in there. It is. <laughs> Nothing I say matters anymore. But your book, it's full of stories, real stories, real people that they can Google. And actually, after we read each story, we Googled it to see, oh, what does this person look like? And some of these stories resonated more than others, but it was... Um, it's been pretty impactful. That's great. And, the fact, you know, there's 25 people listed in that book. So, But the best thing is if it's someone who people don't identify with as much, they can just flip through a few pages and there'll be, there'll be someone else ready to go. Yeah. All right. A little history on you now. You were raised in Australia. Yes. You have a long history of success in finances, launching several companies and products, and now putting together this book. What was it that inspired you, got you passionate? I, yeah, I think it, it stemmed from really my parents when I grew up on. So my mum is a psychologist for abused children, and my dad was very big in the in the financial world. So I sort of grew up with the empathy uh, side and then the business mindset as well, and I've just always wanted to help people really take control of their circumstances because you see that it really is not the background that people started with. It is it is drawing a line of uh, a line in the sand and making that decision of what they want to go after and having that unwavering self belief. So I've just naturally gravitated mm. towards it. And then when the when the film project came about, I, I spoke to the filmmakers and asked them about if they were going to release a book with it. And then they asked me to do it and asked me for the ideas and, and I pitched it to them and they loved it and, and here we are. Now did your dad always because he was in 
the financial industry, you said. Was there a lot of money conversations in the house? There, there were, but it was more about just going after what you, what you want to do to succeed. There were never, it was all about putting in your best effort rather than trying to be a huge success yourself or trying to force us into going into the financial side as well. But it was easy for me as an observer, I guess, what you were talking about with your children. It wasn't direct preaching or anything like that. It was, I was just able to, to watch these conversations with different people and see how people's lives were changed. And a lot of these times were very, very academically smart people mm-hmm. who just weren't engaged in their personal finances. So I could see how important it, it is for people to really get engaged on their personal finance. Now, a lot of the stories in the book, um, they're very accomplished, right? They're very successful people now. But if you go back to the beginning, they had very humble beginnings. Um, there were a lot of situations where people didn't believe in them and they used that to grow their passion and desire to succeed. So how do you feel about the current culture, I can say, of always encouraging our kids, patting them on the back for every little thing they do, the whole trophy for every kid idea? Do you the think participation trophy? Yeah, yeah I know. I know what you mean. I I'm I think it's great to encourage people that around self-confidence and developing that self-esteem, but the longer you build it up for when it's not grounded in reality, then the harder that fall is going to be when inevitably, inevitably they find out what a big, bad, scary world this place is. So I think slowly introducing them to ownership and accountability and just helping them understand the different aspects of society, maybe sharing stories of homeless people or introducing them to homeless people. I I really think it's important to not keep people in their own little bubbles because that just creates a much bigger fall uh, later in life. Mm. Yeah, that's how I was raised. James, I like that bubble, that nice safe bubble. (laughs) 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 That's how I parent. I know. It's (laughs) It's tough to watch your kids fall and fail, though. You just want to be there. Before they get to that point. Absolutely. But it is also a very precarious position when the kids are, you know, in the late teenage years, there is a lot of a roll of the dice, which just, it just happens based on who they happen to be friends with and and just what happens where you certainly just have to have, you have to have that element of trust and faith that it is going to work out in the end. So doing the things like reading the stories to them and hoping that they've surrounded themselves with the right people who will eventually get them back on track if they feel like they're off the rails a little bit a little bit. That's about all you can all you can do rather than worrying about trying to micromanage them and, and keep them from having any bad experiences because that's how that's how they learn. That's how yeah. their success is forged over the long term. Yeah, that's true. As much as I hate to admit it. Uh, okay, the book uh, Think and Grow Rich, the legacy, it breaks down success habits. And it starts with the most powerful story of Janine Shepard in in the explanation of desire. Can we start there? Definitely. And there's an important part about Janine Shepard's story and a few others in there that you don't have to have Hollywood billboard level fame to consider your life to be a success. So the mm-hmm. story of Janine Shepard, she was a national ski champion in Australia and had qualified for the Winter Olympics in Calgary a few months later. And then she was on a training bike ride in the Blue Mountains and got hit by a, a truck. And then her parents were told that she would not live after she got airlifted to hospital. And then she spent 10 days in a coma and then six months in the spinal ward and was told for the rest of her life she would be a paraplegic. 
And then she finally saw a plane fly over her head and said, if I can't walk, I'll fly. And then the desire of getting crystal clear on what she wanted, she knew that if she was going to be a pilot, she would never pass a physical if she couldn't walk. So for the second time in her life, she she learned to walk again. Like, that's so powerful. I get chills just thinking about it. And her story is, it really wasn't much of a challenge to put that number one in the book because I really wanted people to feel inspired and motivated that uh, often in life we feel like we've hit rock bottom. Maybe a relationship has broken up or, you're in, or you've lost a job, but it's not that common that it might be a you know, like a, a very, very strong medical uh, diagnosis or some type of immense physical trauma that really is not just a feeling of rock bottom, but physically being at rock bottom and how she was o- able to overcome that and create a plan to have a life that not only was she proud of, but where she was able to positively impact millions of people around the world. It's I absolutely, yeah, it it inspires me every day. Yeah, when I'm having a rough day, I think about that one story in particular. That man, I don't know if I was put in the same situation, if I could come out as successful as she did. I mean, she had to dig deep. She did, yeah. And there's an old saying that says that you don't know how tough you are until tough is the only choice you have as well. But it really, yeah, uh, being in that situation where, it's like, all right, here I am. Either I've wasted away in this room and no one in the world ever hears from me again and my time on this earth passes without any meaningful contribution to my family or the community or the world, or I can sit here and say, you know what, if it's to be, it's up to me and I'm going to make this happen regardless of what the universe is throwing at me because in almost every case, the adversity that we face is just an opportunity to prove to the world how badly we want it. So how do you get to that point? First, it's self-awareness, isn't it? Let's say financially speaking, if you're buried in debt, your go-to thing is to play the victim and point the finger at other things in your life, right? How do you get to the point where you're going to say, I have the desire, you know, the starting point of all achievement as it's written in the book? A a lot of people uh, of getting clear on what you want, the desire, that is the most important thing. But you also need to look around and figure out what is in your environment that has got you to that position. Mm. Maybe you're hanging around people who, you know, if you want to be happy, there's no point hanging around negative people. If you want to be fit and healthy, there's no point hanging around people who don't make, you know, a healthy lifestyle a priority. If you want to be financially independent, there is no point hanging around people who are terrible with their money. So getting very, very clear on what you want having a clear framework in place with the people who are most important in your life. And that might be a, I'd start with a spouse. If you're married, that is a, a perfect position to be in. You can each independently write down a, a goal sheet and there are so many free goals templates available on the internet. And once the two of you are very clear on what you want individually, you can bring that together to find out what your goals are together as a family or as a couple And as long as you have that desire from there, that structure, when you've got that perfect destination in mind, it is so much easier to take the first, the second, and the third steps to achieve it. And that might be maybe we don't go and spend $4 on a a Starbucks coffee each every morning. Whatever it might be, depending on the, the financial position you're in, you can always free up some extra money because at the end of each month, you find out that, wow, we have gotten through the month no matter how much we have saved. And as you start to see those quick wins, it's really over time that those ordinary, simple actions 
become extraordinary achievement over time where most people want to go and have one cataclysmic action right there. But in many, many, many cases, that is just not sustainable. So I really try and encourage people to take simple but consistent action because over time that is what leads to massive results. Yeah, it's kind of tough to wait for those results though, you know? Yes, it's uh, yeah, it definitely can be. But at the end of each day, you don't need to judge it by how much money happens to have hit your account. Judge it by the, the seeds you sow rather than the harvest you reap. What actions have you taken today to get towards your goals? And, you know, it's, it's tough for me as well. I, I often get quite impatient when I feel like, you know, I've got very lofty goals around wanting to positively impact the lives of millions of people around the world, but you just need to take a deep breath and not let that detract you from putting in the work each day that is eventually going to get you to where you need to be. And the best thing about having that perfect destination in mind is you start to then attract people in your life who can help you get there. Find others who are in the position that you want to be in, model their success, ask them for help or mentorship or whatever that looks like. And and you made note of this in the book that nowadays it's easier to do that than it once was. I mean, technology, as much as we hate it, we should love it because it is making those opportunities exist. Definitely. There are so many, literally hundreds of thousands of podcasts available out there now for free. So maybe there's someone who you heard that was on a podcast or has their own show, whatever it might be, and you Mm -hmm. could drop them a quick email because all that information is either publicly available via their social media channels or you can find it on their website and you can just drop them a nice, uh, even comment on the post or drop them a nice heartfelt email to show how much their interview, their conversation impacted your life. And there are opportunities then for you to, a lot of well-known people today have little mastermind programs that people can invest into to enhance their own abilities. So back in the day when it was all about libraries and, and universities, it was very, it was a bit harder to access. But nowadays, yeah. you can order a book on Amazon and guess what? If you couldn't be bothered reading a book yourself, you can get someone to read it for you via <laughs> audio book. So there really, there really is no excuse. And to uh, to not be filling your brain with uh, with everything that you need. Yeah, yeah, all the tools are out there. And you know, it's so funny. I was uh, I was having a conversation with a, a woman who has to undergo um, training, but it's millennial training. I don't know if that's official, the official title for it, <laughs> but her company has to adjust how to um, cater to the new generation coming into the company. <laughs> It's so funny, but she was saying, and she made note that a lot of the new people coming in, I mean, even interns, they feel like they can go right to the CEO's office, knock on the door and have a conversation. Now, that is cool because that is the way it's turning. But when we were, you know, growing up and working up the ladder, that was like a forbidden, right? Absolutely. But also these days when you have the millennial generation where so much of our emotional health Uh, is derived from scrolling through news feeds around how many people liked or commented or shared a post that you're featured in. So we do, it is a difficult time for for younger people as well, but if with the right attitude and the right mindset, they can actually see that there are are more opportunities than ever for them to succeed without having a very rigorous uh, plan like a lot of people did 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah. Absolutely. So now, because social media is so powerful, like we just said, all this advanced technology, how do you feel um, 
being a part of it? Because I know it's a struggle for a lot of us in, you know, the Gen Xers, the baby boomers to keep on top of it. But yet, do you think if we don't, it'll hold us back in our career? And should we encourage our kids to stay on top of social media? Because you can make those connections and market yourself easy. Yeah, definitely. It's just it's just a tool. That's what social media is. For some people, it is incredibly powerful. For other people, I know some extremely successful people who aren't on any social media mm. platform at all. But it might be, say, if, for example, someone posts a lot of Facebook Live videos or a lot of photos and videos, and their, their thing might be around uh, releasing a book or helping book publish or uh, helping writers get a book published. Well, naturally, if someone asks you, hey, I'm thinking about getting a book published, do you know anyone who can help? Well, they're all going to gravitate towards that person whose posts they have seen. And most people want to help others as much as they can. So all that's done is created that awareness of you. And keep in mind, this isn't the quality of you. It comes with perceived credibility based on the work you have done to post consistently on that platform. So people recognize you as an authority just by your very presence, whereas someone who might even be more skilled in helping writers get published, but people aren't aware of them because they haven't posted, that's where you can see a difference in opportunities gained Mm -hmm. versus opportunities missed. What other advice would you give? And I know there's so much in this book, so many great stories. But if you were to be face-to-face with someone right now who just feels in a funk, is not moving up the ladder as much as they should or feels overwhelmed by whatever. What is what is the one step in this book that you think is the most powerful? I think the most important thing is to really, it, typically when we get stressed out, we want to run harder and harder on the treadmill, which just we just burn out and we start to eat bad food and feel bad about ourselves. But if we really take a deep breath, get off that treadmill just for a moment, Think about our values, what we really want in life, changing our environment. So what are we looking at? If you want to be productive and happy, making sure you do little things like making your bed in the morning and not having pots and pans sitting in your sink, and then focus on winning the day. And by winning the day, it means you just live your day with intent, with energy, and with purpose, where the very first thing you do when you wake up is you focus on what three things are going to make today great and what three things you're most grateful for, and then taking daily action to make that happen and starting to surround yourself with people who can help you get to that next level. Just take it one day at a time, make winning the day a habit, and then when you look back after 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, you'll start to see that you've made some considerable gains in in your life and where you want to be. Do you ever have those off days? You know, like you read the book and you're so energized and you're so excited and you're eager to put it into action and we're listening to you talk and we're like, yes, you are absolutely right. I am focused. And then time goes on and you're like, I'm a little lazy today. (laughs) And oh, I don't know. Yeah, that book. I forgot to finish reading it. How do you re-motivate yourself or keep yourself focused? I go back to judge the success of each day. So if it reaches a point where I'm like, oh, wow, I'm feeling a little bit flat today, I try not to, in that moment, I try not to put too much pressure on myself and just focus on, I don't need to make this the best day that I've ever had, but I want to focus on giving this day all the energy that I have today. Yes, I'm feeling flat. There's a 
There's a saying I like. It says, some days you're the pigeon, some days you're the statue. So, uh, yeah. It's a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. I, I like not putting too much pressure on myself. But if okay. after two or three, yeah, if after two or three days I'm starting to feel a little flat, then I would just look back and make sure I'm doing those, the daily habits that need to get to where I want to be. And in almost every case, it's little things like I haven't listed my intent for the day, mm. I haven't done my gratitude list, and I haven't checked in before I've gone to bed on the success of that day. And if it's not those things, which it almost always is, I'll just mm. try and get out of. The environment. So maybe go for a maybe go for a hike up a nearby uh, mountain, or get outside and go for a surf, or do a yoga class. Just something that really gets you out of that, you know, off that treadmill of, of stress and wanting to run harder, which is what we do instinctively. There have been several people um, who we've interviewed that refer to that gratitude list. Yeah, there's there's something called the five minute journal, and that is that has had a very profound uh, impact on my life. So you start off. With that in the morning, you do two and a half minutes in the morning about three things that you're grateful for and three things that would make today great. And then for two and a half minutes at the end of each day, you just write down three amazing things that happened that day and what you could have done to improve the day. And when you do that, it is it really is an amazing tool because you start you stop reacting to the day and mm-hmm. start dictating how you actually want your day to run, living with purpose, living with passion, and and starting to go after what you want. Okay. And in the beginning, it'll probably feel uncomfortable. You'll forget to do it every day. But eventually, it turns into a habit, and you crave that. You need to do that beginning and end of each day. Definitely. And I I do have it as a a great habit for me now. I've been doing it for, for a long time, but every now and then I forget too. So when I feel like I'm in a position where or maybe I'll forget tomorrow, I go and put it on my computer because I know I will be using my computer first thing Mm. in the morning. If my five-minute journal is sitting on the computer, it will be a reminder to my future self where I will go, ah, that was smart. My last night self realized that I might forget (laughs) it, so here it is ready to go. (laughs) You are such a busy man, and typically a lot of successful people, they're just obsessed with whatever it is they want to succeed at, and it, it takes over. How do you find that time for yourself or the family you know i mean i can't even imagine your schedule today and i appreciate you taking these few minutes with us but how do you find time to do it all it can be difficult i i actually got married about uh, about six weeks ago as oh, well congratulations thank you very much but we'll do th- like we couldn't take a, a honeymoon right away because of all the things that are on so we've got that you know in, a, in august later in the year but it's really about just having that conversation between my partner and I around where we want to you know where we want to go so my my wife Jen she knows that I have these very lofty ambitions and have all these things on but she also wants to make sure that we can have even if it's half an hour or an hour every day just to connect with each other and not have any mobile phones around Mm. but we also go through each other's goals and what's important to each other and how we can help but as far as me structuring it myself it's a lot of productivity hacks that I have used and a lot of them are mentioned in the book by people like John Lee Dumas from the podcast Entrepreneurs on Fire where the first thing I do in the morning after the five-minute journal I I mean the first thing that I do on on the work front uh, would be not go through my emails because by doing that you're reacting to the day and leaving someone else's agenda for your time but if you do yeah if you do the three things that would make today great before you get onto your emails and before you get onto social media, 
that is another, that's such a small change because the problem with emails is there are always more coming in. You send yeah. one out and you yeah. feel good about, oh, I've got an empty inbox. Yeah. Okay. yeah, they keep coming back like a boomerang. So just making sure you do those three things that would make today great first thing in the morning. And uh, it means by the end of the day, if I feel like I had accomplished something and it's been a great day, I'm happy to go and catch up with friends if they're in town from Australia or, or anything else just to make that time to, to have a bit of a mental reset. Oh, okay. So that's a good tweak we can all do then. First, accomplish what you want to accomplish before you get to everybody else's to-do list, which is those emails. So do you carve a certain time during the day? Like, okay, between one and two, I'm answering all emails and only during that time? Or when do you fit that in? Uh, I Yeah, I, just with doing a lot of the book promotional stuff, there is a, there are a lot of things coming in right now. But I would, I would typically just be at the computer uh, every day from about 8 a.m. And I, I typically, not a lot of other people do this, but I would have about a four-hour very productive block then because I'm, I'm quite comfortable doing that, whereas okay. a lot of other people have maybe 20 minutes and then they set a timer and then have a five- or a ten-minute break and keep doing it that way. So that works really well for me because I just feel like I have more energy in the morning. So if I'm doing some more creative tasks like writing, I can't be doing that after I've been answering emails mm. for four hours because I just naturally feel a little bit flatter uh, after lunch earlier in the afternoon. So I try to really do that most productive work done first thing in the morning. And then those other tasks, things like responding to email, I can do later in the day when I'm more on autopilot. Okay. And you know, it's funny. We always joke how kids need structure in their life. I think us adults, we need that kind of structure too. Definitely. We really, really do. And having that, so not just structure for ourselves, but also having people to hold us accountable. So every Monday morning at, uh, at 9am, I have a, a Skype video call with a friend of mine where we go through our goals for the week, what we're going to accomplish. If we've got a few blog posts to write, we then send them to each other by Thursday at lunchtime and then have them back to the other person by uh, Sunday at lunchtime. So it means that we can start off the week with a few blog posts all done, ready to go, and we're okay. also very clear on uh, on what would make the day, the day great. Okay, so don't stop what you're doing, what you're focused on, to answer that text or that email. They can wait. You're first. Yeah. Right? Turn your notifications off for, for everything. Yeah, have your phone face down or on airplane mode. The, yeah, there are very few real emergencies out there that require your time immediately. That's true. Okay, now one last, because it's around graduation time now. What is one piece of advice that you would give either a high school graduate or a college graduate? The biggest thing that you've learned or just piece of advice that you would set them off in the, quote, real world with? I think the biggest thing for that age bracket is just to get off the couch and get out there and try as many things as you can, meet as many people as you can, because we put pressure on kids from a young age to tell us exactly what they want to do for the rest of their life. And it's very, very difficult to do that when you haven't experienced a lot of what life has to offer. So I would attend conferences, conventions, and different events, meet as many people as you can, and really be aware of what businesses are out there and what things that really ignite that fire within you, and then start to work towards that. Because in, like we mentioned earlier, so many people are just sitting on their couches waiting for success to find them on the fifth hour of a Netflix binge. It's just 
it's just not going to happen. Of course, it's important to relax from time to time, but if you've got, if you're very clear on what you want, you need to make sure that getting out of your comfort zone is an essential stepping stone to getting there. I could talk to you forever. Thank you so much, James. <laughs> no worries at all, Sandy. You have a good day. What a great guy. James Whitaker, the author of Think and Grow Rich, The Legacy. Highly recommend the book. It will motivate you to get what you want out of life. And it does motivate the kids, which is so awesome because we're always looking for ways to do that, right? All right, we leave you now with my dad. More financial nuggets for you. But before we do, before we end the podcast, I want to sincerely thank you for listening every week. And if you don't mind subscribing to the podcast and giving us a review and a rating and telling a friend about the Seven Figures podcast. Have a great weekend. Dominate your finances. It's Father Knows Best, my dad's two cents. Before you invest in a mutual fund, Be sure to ask if it is a load or no load fund. Load funds charge a fee, sometimes around 5% to invest in that fund. So you're starting out with a minus 5% on your investment. And if you do a little research, you'll also find out that the load funds do not perform any better than no load funds. So why pay the extra fee? (laughs) 